You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Hello, tech fans, and welcome into episode 149 of the Tech Sideline Podcast originating from TSL's High Tech Studios in the Virginia Tech Corporate Research Center. On today's episode, we analyze what happened on Saturday inside of Lane Stadium in the 38-35 win for number 22 Liberty over Virginia Tech, including the crazy final minute and what it means for the Hokies program moving forward. Episode 149 of the Tech Sideline Podcast gets started right now. Welcome back into the Tech Sideline Podcast, whether you are watching live or archived on YouTube, listening on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Amazon Music, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or on Stitcher. We are so glad that you could join us as we record on Monday morning, November 9th. We've got our founder and general manager, Will Stewart, with us, our managing editor, Chris Coleman, the best podcast producer in the land behind the scenes, Malcolm Stewart. And I'm your podcast host, Evan Hughes. If you are watching live on YouTube, we remind you to drop a question in the YouTube chat, and we will get to those at the end of today's show. This week and every week, the Tech Sideline Podcast is presented by the Fisher Law Firm, Virginia's trusted DUI and traffic defense firm, dedicated to defending individuals charged with traffic-related offenses. The Fisher Law Firm handles cases throughout the Commonwealth of Virginia. To date, the firm has defended tens of thousands of people charged with moving violations. For a free consultation, you can call anytime, day or evening, toll free at 1-800-680-7031. Again, that's 1-800-680-7031. Or you can email the Fisher Law Firm at info at fisherlegal.com. With that, gentlemen, a busy weekend. Good morning to uh, you. Great to be with you. And Will, you know, for those that were just listening and watching and have been longtime viewers or listeners of the Tech Sideline Podcast, New music in the intro today. We're switching it up for a big podcast today. Yeah, moving forward, I'd been wanting to change the music uh, uh, for a while now. We uh, that that last piece of music we went with it, I think, starting in April. And so I went poking around. I, I subscribed to Artlist.io, which is where you can buy royalty-free music. And I went poking around the other day, and I finally found just the perfect piece of music that it's got the drums before the pictures in the intro come in, and then it's got the bass guitar after the pictures in the intro fade out and I spent like an hour, hour and a half working on that last Friday, put it together. I just think it's really cool. So if you're listening, the music sounds different. If you're watching, just check out the way it dovetails with the visuals. It's really cool. Yeah, it's great to have you with us. Episode 149 of the Tech Sideline Podcast this week. We're going to get to episode 150 on Thursday. We're really excited about that. And we've got a very busy show planned for today. We're going to break down what happened inside the final minute of the Liberty win over Virginia Tech on Saturday. What happened with the timeout? What happened with the defense before the quick pass from Malik Willis? 
And then we're going to take a 10,000 foot view of what this loss means for the Virginia Tech program. Chris Coleman, let me start with you. Again, the final score, number 22 Liberty, 38-35 winners over Virginia Tech. What happened inside the final 10 seconds of that game, and how big of a loss is this for Virginia Tech? Well, it's a big loss. Like It's a big loss for Justin Fuente because he's yeah. lost the fan base again. And every time he's lost them in the past, he's been able to get a good chunk of them back, but I don't see that happening this time. It doesn't appear to does, It doesn't appear to. Uh, I mean, when you're a Virginia Tech coach and you lose to ODU and – Liberty two years apart and Duke with a 45 to 10 10 loss to Duke thrown in for good measure. You're probably not going to recover from that. But we said he wasn't going to recover from Duke and he did, but I don't know. I just don't, I just don't see it happening. If it feels different this time, it definitely feels different this time around. And it feels different because like, Oh gosh. Like when Virginia tech lost to Duke, it was like, okay, we know we're playing better than that. The frustrating thing is we just didn't stay in the game mentally, but we knew Duke didn't have – their players weren't as good as Tex at the time. Now, like, you watch the Liberty game, and I just don't know that Tech has players that are all that much better than Liberty's. That, and, and so that means it's like you're not going to be able to snap your fingers and suddenly – start winning 10 games again, it means we completely lack talent, or Virginia Tech completely lacks talent. Well, it, it, at various times this it, year, we've seen other teams exert their will. Correct. Even yes. even NC State did it. They just drove, they just uh, ran they the just, ball up the middle. Well, the, Duke did it Duke in, the, did in it. the second right, half. Right. Um, like, we didn't learn anything new from the Liberty game. That's the crazy yeah. thing. Yeah, Wake but, Forest went, what, 3 for 4 3 for 3 on fourth downs? It just sort of validated what I think we thought we already knew like that tech is too small um they lack overall talent on defense um you know the biggest upset in virginia tech football history is the 1998 temple game because the talent disparity of temple and virginia tech in 98 was the gulf was so wide it was enormous all those all those guys who played for the national championship in 1999 they were on the 98 team i mean temple beat Corey moore and john engelberger and andre davis and people like that everybody but michael vick basically exactly and the thing crazy thing is man the talent disparity between virginia tech and liberty just does not appear to be all that wide right um and and so and so that's concerning. That that's the shocker. You you saw you saw Liberty do some similar things to what uh, to what like Wake Forest I think went three or three or four or four on fourth down and and Liberty did the same thing when when they got down to fourth and two or fourth and three they went for it and they got it. They right. exerted their will. Why wouldn't you? You know. And there were a lot of situations where you know Liberty's bigger running back was just he was it, it was that whole deal of sometimes you tackle a guy and you stop him dead right there or throw him backwards. And everything was kind of a catch and fall down, it felt like. Yeah, and, you know, football is, is a much more complicated than it used to be. But there are times when, yes, you can coach at the college level like you would coach in high school. Like, it'd be like in high school if you were facing a team with, like, a couple of 180-pound defensive tackles. What are you going to do? You're going to run right run at them. Run right at them. <laughs> well, in college, when if you're halfway – if your offensive line and just – has any kind of a pulse at all and you look across and the other team's defensive tackles are 280 and 265 and a linebacker behind them is 210 i mean you don't have to be a genius to figure out 
what what to do there. Well, they they just they 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 controlled the game. They ran eighty plays to fifty eight for Virginia yeah. Tech. Time of possession was something like thirty seven minutes to twenty two minutes. Liberty didn't average. 10 yards a play like North Carolina did. I think they only averaged 5.7 only, 5.7 or 5.8. But they just kept holding on to the football, and when they really wanted it, they got it. Sure. Liberty ran for 249 yards. Malik Willis, we talked about it in the preview podcast on Thursday, how he led the team in rushing. He did so in the game on Saturday. 108 yards on the ground and a touchdown through the air. Willis was 20 of 30 for 217 yards, three touchdowns, and no interceptions. You know, there were so many moments in this game that we could talk about, right? right, the, right. the fumble that uh, very well could have been a scoop and score for a touchdown for that Virginia was called Tech. back. We yeah. could talk about the muff punt from Tavion Robinson. But I want to spend some time going to the final 10 seconds of this game. Virginia Tech lines up to block a potential 59-yard field goal from Liberty. And Alex Barbier, who you know we mentioned on the podcast, was 2 of 6 beyond 30 yards all year. With a long of 42. Virginia Tech blocks the kick, but Justin Fuente called a timeout. He later said afterwards he called the timeout to ensure that he had the right personnel on the field. So can I, can I jump in here and, and add something to it? Uh, part of what the fan base is struggling with is they're seeing one or two quotes from Fuente about the whole thing. Have, having listened to it and read the quotes – um, he said a couple of things. Uh, he, I think this is a point that's being missed by fans. He made the statement, I, I usually don't call a timeout that, that late because I don't like their other kicker to get a free swing. What he means is, I believe he had every intent of calling the timeout, but he had every intent of calling it earlier. He doesn't want you, – you see so often the coaches that call it right before the ball is snapped, and the ball is snapped, and they get to hold, and they get to kick. It's like a practice kick. Fuente doesn't want to do that. So what he was saying was, I meant to call that timeout a lot earlier. That block and scoop for a touchdown never would have occurred if I'd gotten the, the, uh, the timeout when I wanted it. That's separate from whether or not he should have called the timeout. The timing is excruciating because what actually happened, you know, in, in the ensuing play. But if Fuente had done his usual thing, that play never would have happened. So they, Jermaine Waller picks it up, runs it back, but a timeout was called. He so said the refs didn't hear him. He said he was. Yeah, he said he was, he was there calling it, and, and the refs didn't hear him. To be clear, yeah, it wasn't yeah, like yeah. he waited. Right. He was calling it early, and they didn't hear so him. So it's still fourth down for Liberty at this point. Yeah. There's seven seconds left, and then Malik Willis, a quick pass to the sideline, makes the field goal a 51-yarder, still very long for Alex Barbier, and he knocks it through with one second left. That's how Liberty wins 38-35. Chris, let's go back inside all of what I just recapped. Mm. What was the bigger takeaway, the timeout or the defensive, the the prevent defense, it almost looked like that Virginia Tech came out in on fourth down that allowed for the uh, seven-yard pass? I'll say the prevent defense. Um, I what do you what do you what Will didn't talk about is Fuente talked about making sure he had the right personnel on the field on the field goal attempt and I know what he was thinking like he was thinking the same thing I was thinking when I saw Liberty line up for a 59 yard field goal I was thinking this is going to be some kind of a crazy they're thing. not going to because that. this guy is two of six from from beyond 30 yards with a long of 42 only eight of his 43 kickoffs have gone for touchbacks the guy's not a good kicker in any way shape or form. The, the, the chances of this going in are practically non-existent, and it's more likely that something bad is going to happen if you play the percentages. So I'm sitting there thinking, this has got to be some kind of a crazy fake 
coming up. Yeah, no coach in his right mind would line up for a 59-yard field goal with a guy with a weak leg. Right. So and what 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 did everybody in the press box say when Tech blocked it? <laughs> so so I was talking to somebody, uh, you know, in the aftermath of the game. I said, you know, usually the, the guys in the press box are pretty cool about stuff. Not if you go to West Virginia, by the way. The, the couple of times I was in the West Virginia press box, those sports writers open, not openly, but they make noises and you can tell they're rooting for West Virginia. If something goes wrong, the WVU press box will go, oh, if something goes well, they'll, they'll, they'll shuffle around, you know, look at each other. So anyway, this play happens and that, that kick actually happens and it's blocked and Waller picks it up and starts running. And there's only, granted, there's only about eight of us in the press box these days. Everybody's spaced out and all that. But there was, there was some reaction to that. And the consensus right after the play was, what was Hugh Freeze thinking? How stupid was that? And then the guy comes on the PA and says there was a timeout. Yeah, I mean. And that ended the discussion. <clears throat> that was a bad, <clears throat> bad decision bad by decision. Hugh Freeze to attempt that field goal. Because statistically, what you, every, every, everything you study about that kicker, everything you know is he's not capable of making it. Yeah. Yet they tried to do it. And you, you shouldn't ask things of people that they aren't capable of doing if you can help it. And sure enough, Tech blocked it. But Fuente's thinking the same thing. He's like, Freeze would have to be an idiot to an attempt to field goal here. This has got to be some kind of fake. i got to make sure my personnel out there to hand, is out there to handle some kind of crazy play. Right? Yeah, yeah. So I, I, I actually think he made the right decision to call a timeout, and Freeze made a horrible decision to kick the to field kick goal. Well. But – it just didn't. didn't well, say, so, so on the play after that, everybody's all mad at Tech for allowing an eight-yard com- eight-yard completion. Is that what? It, yeah, it was an yeah. eight-yard completion. <laughs> so, so again, put yourself in the moment. Liberty brings their offense out onto the field. They've just attempted a, a fifty-nine-yard field goal with horrible results. Mm-hmm. Here's the question. Do you think they're going to throw a Hail Mary and try to score on the last play? Or do you think they're actually going to run a play and try to kick with that guy again? Right. If, Again, I, I would pick the Hail Mary. They're going to try a Hail Mary. You know, so you, Virginia Tech drops back and they wind up giving up an eight yard completion. Yeah. You try to beat Virginia Tech at the end of the game, uh, you know, and rather than, I mean, still, it's still a 51 yarder and he's two of six beyond 30 yards with a long of 42 <laughs> and only it's eight not of his going in and only eight <laughs> of his 43. So you play the percentages as a coach. And, you know, coaches do all these spreadsheets and everything during the course of the week. Yeah, and, they, they've and they prepare for these situations in yeah. their mind. And so, yeah, it just didn't make any sense. Oh, and to, here's one for you. Let's say Tech hadn't lined up in a prevent defense. They had wind up in, they, they had lined up in a regular D to try, to try to prevent, say, a 10-yard completion. What do you think Liberty would have done? They would have chucked it deep. They would have said, oh, man, coverage. Let's go for this. Let's yeah. give it a shot. And if we don't make it, we'll just go to overtime. So, honestly, like – you can talk about playing prevent defense and the fans always think that when a team plays when a team loses at the end of the game it's because they were in prevent defense and yes they were in prevent defense obviously on that play uh, against liberty but statistically it's it was the right decision yes it was um and but you know one time when they weren't in prevent defense you know was the notre dame game last year you could go back and watch that drive and tech blitzed like four or five times on that drive but because notre dame moved the football everybody thinks oh it was prevent defense and it actually wasn't so continuing on with the game i wanted to start with the final 10 seconds of that game now i want to talk about the game itself for a moment liberty wins 38 35 will why did the hokies lose on saturday uh, several reasons. Number one, we did not. We, we saw more of a Wake Forest start than a uh, than a Louisville start. 
And Chris made a good point in his Monday article. He said, and I thought about this too, uh, Virginia Tech didn't look fired up at the beginning of the game. But, you know, when the game starts, if, if particularly if you're on defense and, and Liberty had the ball first, um, if you're on defense and you're going up a very, against a very good offensive coaching staff and they drive down the field on you and, and they, they do it in a certain in a way that creates uncertainty, and players who are uncertain don't act fired up. So it becomes this, you know, the defense is, after that first drive, the defense is going, oh, man, I don't know about this. I wasn't sure where to be. I, that, that's not going to generate enthusiasm. And the emotional tide of the game turns, you know. And one of the things I've been meaning to say that I haven't said through this season is that there are no crowds in the stadiums. So motivation has to come from the sideline. And think about when you were playing high school football and the crowd was small. And when you were playing little league football and there was nobody there but the parents. All the emotion was generated amongst the fan, uh, players and on the sideline. And when you're younger, those emotion swings are huge, you know. Well, they're kind of amplified this year in college football because there are no fans to pick you up and no fans to cheer when you do well. So it just went south early. And I thought I thought – Liberty was the aggressor. So there's that portion of it. Um, I had a, I had a thought Thursday morning, a Friday morning after we did our Thursday podcast, I woke up Friday and I thought to myself, huh, we're about to go watch a football game tomorrow where it's Hugh Freeze coaching against Justin Hamilton. That's a really bad matchup. And that went on throughout the game. I thought Liberty did an excellent job of controlling the football and and as we talked about earlier, just getting what they needed when they needed it. And it just kind of kept going on and on and on. And really, in my mind, the only thing to balance it out with James Mitchell being out and Khalil Herbert being out was Hendon Hooker. Hendon Hooker was a one-man band. Yeah, he, was. he kept Virginia Tech in this game. Yeah, he absolutely did. And I think it's funny, you know, when Justin Fuente was first hired and he retained Bud Foster, you know, the popular thing at the time was, you know, well, Bud got in front of the press and said, well, when Fuente came to meet with me, he said, oh, Bud, you're not going to have to be perfect anymore if you stay with me at Virginia Tech. Now it's like the other way around. It's like the Tech offense, they, they pretty much had to be perfect on Saturday to, to win that game. Yeah. And they would have had to have been perfect against UNC to win that game. And it's hard to ask people to be perfect because, like, who can be, right? And, and Hendon just made play after play after play. And then you've got Tavion Robinson's muff of a punt. And, oh, by the way, don't even be catching that thing inside the 10-yard line. You know, first of all, don't even be there. Well, they're, they're, they're actually taught these days. Uh, okay, yeah. why? Explain that to um, me because, because I don't get it. Special teams coaching and, and, and punters, they've actually got way more advanced than they used to. You've got all these punting camps and kicking camps and things like that. So specialists, they get better punting or excuse me, better coaching with regards to technique and how to pin guys inside the 10. Uh, Liber a Liberty guy caught one at the five-yard line against Tech, remember? And then they went like 95 yards for a touchdown. Well, that's, that's twice this year Tavion has tried to make right. a catch that is shaky. Right, right, close right. Close to his own end zone. Correct. And, and it's the, been a disaster It's, it's, a, it's twice. a field position thing. Now, now that It used to be the 10-yard line, but now it's like the five. What's the difference between your five-yard line and your one-yard line? Let's say let's say you let it go and they cover it at the one. Uh, well, what's I, the difference? Well, I, you know, I just <laughs> yeah, I, know I, I, I see everybody in the country doing it, so I know it's a coaching thing. So and it's so, smart people yeah. getting paid millions of right. dollars, so they must know what they're doing. And, and you look back, that was certainly a turning point in this game, the muff yeah. punt when Liberty got the ball scored on the next play. And at, at what point did that occur? I don't remember. It was uh, when I went to make a sandwich. 
Was it? Uh... Oh, 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 Tech had just sacked them. It, uh, Barno had just come up with a big sack on like third and seventeen. Mm-hmm. What was the score though? I don't remember. Oh, well, I think it was tied, wasn't it? it Evans slowly looking it up. We're teasing going to the play by play of the uh, the box. I'm pretty sure it was in the fourth quarter. Uh, well, uh, you just go to the scoring ju- summary. Ju- yeah, just go to the scoring summary, and you can look at it. Should list the length of the drive, and it'll be one play, five yards. <laughs> play, so it's five, that drive. That's right. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> I'm still struggling. No, no, you don't it. have to go down the play by play. You can actually go with the very top. The very top. How about this? I'm going to ask well, you. Guys let's a, let's not. Let's, when, who cares? I, let's go. I, <laughs> let's not get bogged down in that. Yeah. I, uh, let's uh, let me let me continue on with this real quick though. I want to go back to Hennon Hooker for a second because people are talking about him in the chat right now. You go back to his last two games. You go to Louisville and you go to Liberty. He's 30 of 37 Mm. through the air. Mm -hmm. Running like a madman. In the game against Liberty, 20 of 27, 217 yards, three touchdowns, no picks. Again, that's passing. On the ground, 20 carries, 156 yards, and a touchdown. How how good was Hooker? But at the same time, Chris, when – He's running the ball so much, and he is the focal point on offense. Does that hurt Virginia Tech? Uh, it doesn't hurt them. Um, you know, he was also, what, like 10 of 15 against BC and dominated UNC when he came in the second half. He's having a great season. I know people got on him for the Wake Forest game. And you look at the, people are so quick to like jump on their quarterbacks and, and be like, oh, maybe we should try Quincy and blah, blah, blah. Hen is having a great season. Yeah. Um, the, 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 stick, Wake Forest, the Wake Forest game is the outlier, is outlier. for his entire career, there's, actually, not just this correct, year. his entire career. Uh, so there's And there's always an outlier, just like those elite. Druckenmiller. <laughs> right, right, right. And, uh, you know, the, even for Virginia Tech's elite defenses, there's always an outlier like the LSU game when they gave up oh. 600 yards, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, that, that's just an outlier. That defense was great. As Chris Coleman says, that's college football. Right. Sometimes, sometimes, it happens, cause sometimes it'll happen to you. Um, I don't. Like Virginia Tech, they have to run hooker a lot because that's what they're best at. Yeah. And they don't have the wide receiver depth, and now Herbert is hurt. And I think it was foolish to try to play him on kickoff return. Um, but it's like if you, if you go back to like when Gerard Evans was here in 2016 – and I, when Ricky LeBlue interviewed Gerard this past uh, th- this past summer, I guess off season, yeah, off season, and he asked Gerard about running the ball too much and everything like that. And, and Gerard ba- Gerard basically said after the UNC game, I think he carried it like twenty or twenty five times in a hurricane game. Of course, right. right. So of course that's going to happen. And Gerard said, you know, he had some I forget the exact quotes, but you know, he had some concerns over it. So. He went to Fuente, and they talked about it, and Fuente said, okay, we'll accommodate you. And Syracuse was the next game. Syracuse right? was the next game, and boom, you, like you, it was like 17-3, to 3, just like that. Yeah. Uh, well, you know, Syracuse scored four first, then, then Tech kicked a field goal. But it was like 7-3 to three at the end of the first quarter. Uh, but the Tech defense didn't play great, but they played well enough early that if the offense – had been there. It was classic game at Syracuse. Right, exa- yeah, exactly. Where the offense and really struggled. So you change a game plan, you change your offensive style based on the complaints of one player, and you, you lose the football game, yeah. right? Uh, so if Hendon Hooker came to Justin Fuente tomorrow and said, I don't want to run it as much anymore, then Justin Fuente would have to say, tough luck, because 
what are we going to do if you don't run it? We have no chance to win. Saturday would have been a disaster. Oh, God, we would have lost to Liberty by 30 if we just didn't run Hendon Hooker, yeah. right? Yeah. Uh, so, so yeah. I mean, I, well, I would prefer him to run it eight times a game, of course. Yeah. But you do what you have to do to put to try to win the football game. Like, he, he had, you can't do anything about wide receiver depth during the middle of the season and things like that. Yeah, he, he had 12 carries in the first half, and, and I watched the – the halftime discussion on Twitter and on our message boards, and it was like, uh, what are the odds that Hooker makes it through the rest of the game? And he made it. He only, he only carried it eight times in the second half. I part of the reason I, I brought that up, and we talked about it last week, how important Hooker is to running the ball, and, and, and there's no question about that. But there was a prediction on this podcast on Thursday that Raheem Blackshear would go over <laughs> the century mark. He'd run for over 100 yards. He only had nine carries for 33 yards. Did that surprise you at all, Will, that yeah. he didn't have as big a game as we thought he might? The, the the more and more games that go by, the more and more I'm thinking it's just not going to ha- happen. You know, we thought he was going to be a super productive guy going into the season. You're seven games in now, and it still hasn't happened. And if it was going to happen, I think it would have. Yeah, it's not going to happen this year against Liberty. Um, it just doesn't look like it's going to yeah, happen. Yeah, and year. and he's the type. He's part running back, part wide receiver, and probably a better wide receiver than running back, mm-hmm. I would say, just based on his career. And I, and I think he's a pretty Rutgers. decent running back. I think he's, yeah, I think he has talent. It's just he's practiced it. Offense, defense, wide receiver, mm-hmm. running back, got hurt, was out during COVID mm-hmm. for whatever reason. And then he didn't go to go this, through spring practice anyway to learn the offense. So he's yeah. well behind on every single front. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know that he's, like, necessarily a great – fit for this offense anyway in terms of Hendon Hooker's strengths as a quarterback. Now, if Hendon Hooker was a pocket quarterback and, and was really quick at reading the field and hitting his check down guy, it, that that's just not who he is as a quarterback. Um, so, like, I don't think Blackshear is just – I don't think he's going to be as dynamic in the passing game here as he would at, at another school that maybe had a, a – a quarterback that got through his progressions really quick, and the passing game was really advanced. Right, that's um, a solid point. So, but but and I, that that's as far as like twenty twenty goes. Like if if there's a spring practice and everybody's here and everybody's healthy, they've got a chance to make progress there next yeah. year. So that that might not be the case next season. By the way, if anyone was wondering <laughs> back at home how long it would take for Evan to find what time the punt happened, you had it right at about three and a half minutes. Uh, the time <laughs> it, was, it was early the, fourth quarter. It right? was early first quarter. Uh, the fourth touchdown fourth. happened with ten twenty nine to go in the fourth quarter, and yeah. that put Liberty up. That put Liberty up twenty seven twenty. 28 20. 20 I'm sorry yeah. I missed the extra point I had right. to look down yes 28 yeah. to 20 that that the muff punt led to the touchdown which uh, put yeah. the flames up and, 20 and suddenly with 10 minutes left to go you're down a touchdown and a two-point and, and it was 20 to 14 Virginia Tech at halftime right? yeah yeah, yeah. Couple other notes of the box score. Uh, the receivers, Trey Turner, his biggest game of the season, six receptions for 90 yards and a touchdown. Caleb Smith had a big fourth down touchdown, mm-hmm. uh, two catches nice for 26 yards and a touchdown. Um, and then again, Virginia Tech ran for 201 yards as a team. 156 of the rushing yards came from Hennon Hooker. Offense yeah. wasn't really the problem. I mean, and like you can't, you're not, you can't expect them to score on every single drive. They're not going to be perfect. But considering like the time of possession, like the defense couldn't get off the field, right? Yeah. Uh, so it's tough to get in a rhythm when that happens. Um, but yeah, I think anytime you score thirty, even in this modern day of football, 
I still have enough expectations of defense, especially when you're playing Liberty, that if you score 35 points, you should win. Yeah, when you're running 58 plays and you only have the ball like 22 or 23 minutes, you're scoring 35 points, that's yeah, pretty good. Yeah, you don't have much of a chance yeah. to score more than 35 points unless you're perfect, and yeah. it's hard for humans to be perfect. <laughs> uh, let's transition and talk about the defense. And again, for those that are watching live, if you have a question on YouTube, we will get to them at the end. We are also, when we take our break, we'll come back and we'll take a look at this loss from a 10,000 000- uh, foot perspective, as right. Will I mean, Chris kind of alluded to in his article uh, on Tech Sideline that came out yesterday. I want to talk about the defense momentarily because Liberty comes out and kind of punches Virginia Tech right in the gut with that touchdown, that wide open touchdown, yeah. that put him up seven to nothing. Chris, when you watched Virginia Tech's defense, what did you see that was concerning? Oh, I mean, a lot of things. Uh, the thing is, like, I, I didn't learn anything new from this game. Like, I knew Virginia Tech's defensive tackles were way too small. I already knew it. Um, the PFF grades and, and my own eye test, quite frankly, told me that Breon Murray is just not a very good football player at this point, and he, I don't think he should be starting over Armani Chapman. And sure enough, after he gave up that out and up for a touchdown, he played 10 snaps in this game, and they were all on the first drive. So I, I, I took I, him I, out. I watched a replay on that play, and, and the Liberty receiver takes him to the sideline. Murray peeks into the backfield at Willis, and oh, by the way, there was a lot of that going on. The Virginia Tech defense, the entire defense, was very concerned with Malik Willis. Murray looks into the background, the guy breaks behind him, and he's gone. Right. And, and you said he played 10, 10 snaps, snaps, and that was all on the And that was drop. it. You right. know, and and they, they, took, they were so mad at him. Yeah. Um, and so I already knew that. Um, already knew that. We'd be in trouble if we lost Ashby and didn't have him for the second half. And, you know, Tech had trouble containing Willis the whole game, as we kind of thought they would. But Liberty didn't get the tailback run dialed up until the second half after Ashby left. And it was just a huge drop off on the inside. from Yeah, they they put Dax at Mike and and the the Tisdale – Hollyfield combination struggled with with Tisdale actually on the whole had a pretty good game. But, yeah, uh, uh, the defensive ends played well. And uh, especially now the two defensive ends, the two guys we have who with the prerequisite power five talent and who were good schematic fits for this defense are playing well. Justice, Reed and Barna. Reed and Barna. Yeah. Right. So like I, I look at Tara Lincoln tap and I don't see anything wrong there because the two guys that are actually good enough physically and who are good fits for the scheme are, are performing at a pretty high level. Right. Um, like Barno had an, uh, I think Reed was actually our high high grade, or or maybe it was the other way around. But those guys graded out like above seventy. They were both good. Right. Jalen Griffin was actually pretty good. So, uh, as as usual, you know the the issue is you know, just lack size. Look, this is twenty twenty. You can't start a two hundred sixty five pound defensive tackle and a two hundred eighty pound defensive tackle but what choice do you have see that's overtaking always be red shirting as the thing that chris says every podcast <laughs> yeah exactly um but you know some some of the stuff man is just uh it's frustrating because it's liberty but i, I think we're, we're seven games into the season i think we kind of now we know who this team is it's like they have a chance to to win games if they are way ahead in turnover margin and that's pretty much it. And so what was the turnover margin for this game? It, it was Tech was plus one, but it wasn't like this wide. But the one, the one turnover Liberty had was right there on the five-yard line, and Tech scored. 
and one of the turnovers Tech got, they got robbed of four points. Correct. I know so, it. Yeah. And that, that turned into so a field kinda, goal instead of what potentially could have been a touchdown in like, a 38-35 game. That certainly made a difference. Okay, before we take a break, I do want to end on a positive note here. We're talking about the defense. For a moment, I want to talk about Amari Barno, someone who, Chris, in your article, which is, by the way, I mentioned earlier, it's on techsideline.com right now, uh, sifting through the Virginia Tech game uh, is the name of the uh, – Sifting through the Liberty game. Through the, mm-hmm. I'm sorry, sifting through the loss to Liberty. CC on Sunday. It's a, it's a great read. That's how we brand it is CC on Sunday. I like that. And then we've got uh, Monday Thoughts from Will. You know, you know he actually writes that stuff Saturday night these days. He writes it in the heat I of the I can't go to the game. None of my friends are coming into town for games. So, so what else is there to do? <laughs> Man does his top work. So then we edit and post on Sunday. Amari Barno in the game, eight tackles. <laughs> Two tackles for loss, also had a sack. And you mentioned it in in your article, Chris, how you could hear it in his voice being interviewed afterwards, just how hard he took that loss. How 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 good has Barno been this year, and how good was he on Saturday? Oh, he was really good on Saturday. He plays really hard, extremely hard. He uh, he A lot of times, you know, when somebody else messes up, he's kind of there to clean it up, even if it's 10 yards downfield and he's the backside trailer, right? Yeah. He plays his tail off. He's a great athlete. He bats down passes. He's he's stronger at the point of attack than I thought he would be. But the, the really the thing is is how quickly he's been able to pick up the position mentally. So let's, let's go back five years. Um, over the course of the last five years, he's now played four different positions. He was a safety in high school. He was a whip type for two years at the JUCO level. And then he redshirted as a backer last year at Virginia Tech. And now he's a defensive end without the benefit of spring practice. Um, and he's still only 235 pounds is what he's listed at. Um, he's a good player right now. If he's 255 next year, he can be a – People will notice him oh, next year. Yes, he yeah. will be an all-ACC maybe even lower-level All-American type. He has that type of athleticism and that type of physical talent. Um, it's just up to him to put on those 20 pounds, and that's going to be the difference between whether he's an NFL player or not. Um, but he certainly has the, has the physical ability. I, I've been awfully impressed. And, and you mentioned being physical at the point of attack in, in, in the early games. Maybe, maybe it was just one game. He came in and he looked skinny to me, and he got pushed around. And I thought, "Oh, this is not good." And then it just changed. Right. He's well, holding his own at the point it's, of attack. It's some of it's a some of it's a week to week matchup, depending on the player you're facing. But like in NC general, State had a good offensive line, right? Yeah. They were strong at least. Uh, but yes, he has gotten better there, and sometimes that's an adjustment period. Yeah. For for guys, just and the that's pure leverage. You know, Tierlink and Tap can get him in and teach him yeah. the proper positioning. And, you know, and the, you see him do things like you know, at one point he had Willis clean for a sack and he got his hands on him but he just he wasn't quite strong enough to bring him down you know he's 6'6 235 willis is 6'1 215 so willis has more mass like more body mass so you know five you know five few five fewer inches right now if barno hits the weight room and he's 255 next year then he's strong enough and he makes that tackle and maybe we have a different game but that's the future, but you know, for what he is right now and what he's done over the last five years, changing positions so many times, it, it's he's been right on imp- schedule. It, yeah, yeah. he's ahead of schedule, I would say. Yeah. yeah, hitting the weight room, something we are going to be talking about a little bit later here on the Tech Sideline Podcast. A perfect transition for us to take a break on episode 149 of the Tech Sideline Podcast. We'll step aside, but when we come back, we're gonna 
take a look at what this loss means for the Virginia Tech program. And we'll get to your questions in just a little bit on YouTube. You're watching and listening to episode 149 of the Tech Sideline Podcast, brought to you by the Fisher Law Firm. If you have received a DUI or other traffic-related offense, the road ahead can seem uncertain. Here at Fisher Law Firm, we have a team that is with you every step of the way. We have the experience that comes along with having defended more than 30,000 criminal and traffic cases statewide and the expertise to get the job done. Call anytime, day or evening, for your free consultation or a complimentary copy of my book. Don't forget to ask us about our free appeal guarantee. To learn how we can help solve your problem, check us out at FisherLegal.com. This is Jonathan Fisher, Class of 98. Let's go Hokies. Welcome back into episode 149 of the Tech Sideline Podcast. It is so great to have you with us. Evan Hughes back alongside Chris Coleman, Will Stewart. We've got Malcolm Stewart, the best podcast producer behind the scenes. A reminder that the Tech Sideline Podcast is presented by the Southeast Regional Training Center. Visit southeastrtc.com to help Virginia Tech wrestling. Tech Sideline Podcast also presented by Campus Emporium. Be sure to follow Tech Sideline on social media and look for items featured throughout the week. All right, gentlemen, we're going to transition from the game itself. Again, we're, we were just analyzing the 38-35 win for now 22nd-ranked Liberty over Virginia Tech. Now we're going to take a look at what this loss means for the Virginia Tech program. And, Will, I want to start with you. Is it hard to do these assessments after such an emotional loss like it was on Saturday, just 48 hours after? One thing I have discovered as a columnist slash analyst over the years is that it's hardest when there is doubt about how you should feel. How do, how do you interpret this loss? How do you filter this loss? It's actually easy to write about this stuff when, when there's a clear uh, uh, reaction or, or way to feel. So what do I mean by that? In the course of this game, the, the, the immediate hours following this game, and, and I'll write this in my article, and we talked about this on the message boards. The uh, People are always angry after a loss, but it was a little different this time. A lot of people, as Chris alluded to earlier, you know, uh, the, I call it the switch being flipped. A lot of people just go, you know what? And, and I'm just going to be brutally honest about this. A lot of people said, you know what? I thought this guy could get the job done, meaning Justin Fuente. Now, I don't think so. And that happened to a lot of people. It happened to some people after the ODU game in 2018. It happened to some people after the Duke game last year. It happened to a lot more people. But what was disturbing uh, in, in the immediate aftermath of the game was, was the, the back-channel traffic about how the big donors felt about this and how many of them. Now, remember, this is, this is in the emotional moments right after. Mm-hmm. Um, how many of the big donors were, were just washing their hands of it in the moment. And the reason that's important is, as we've talked about, and, and Whit mentioned this in the podcast that we, that we did with him, um, you know, when, when Fuente went to Baylor and, and came, well, he didn't go, they came and met with him. And after that meeting, when he decided, you know, they didn't offer the job, he didn't take it, he, you know, after that meeting, he came back and spoke with Witt, and they talked about what was needed for the football program. And in the months since then, there has been an effort to uh, raise $25 million over the next five years specifically for football. And that effort continued even after COVID kicked in. And the plan is to raise $12.5 million from some of the higher-level donors 
and the school, whatever this means, will match with another $12.5 million to get to the $25 million. Now, this was presented to Virginia Tech's 20 top donors. These are the, the information we get through back channels. 20 top donors, 17 of them went in on it. And that effort is just about to be formalized and come to fruition. And Witt mentioned in the podcast that they are going to announce, there was a capital campaign they were going to announce in April. Well, you know, COVID started. I believe you said the spring game they were going to do. Yeah, so spring right. game. You know, it was going to be a big deal. Well, now Witt wants to do that either, either at the end of this year, beginning of next year. This stuff is once again all about to happen. And then the loss to Liberty happens. And we sat here, we just spent, almost 45 minutes analyzing that game. Bottom line is what what the feeling about this loss is, I don't care why and how Virginia Tech lost. <laughs> right. The team they lost to was an FCS team two years ago, three years ago, and they've got Liberty on the side of their helmet. I don't care what the details are. It was Liberty. That's That's the reaction. And I get that, you know. When you get bogged down in the minutia of something, it's easy to to see the different paths and wonder, oh, how should I feel about this? And then you back up and you're like, wow, they just lost a liberty. <laughs> that, that that's don't complicate it, you know. And that's what's happening with a lot of a lot of people is they're not complicating it; they're seeing a loss to liberty. Now, what I will say in my article today, and I'll say it here as well: people who have the money, where seventeen of them can donate twelve and a half million over over five years. Just like the rest of us, they're prone to emotional reactions, but they don't make decisions with their money based on emotional reactions. That's why they have that money, because right. they're not stupid. They don't do <laughs> stupid things. They don't do dumb things like me and get in and out of the stock market at the wrong time based on emotion. I've, I've, got, I've got a lifetime of doing that. You ought to see my, my IRA balance. It's pathetic for a guy my age because I just have made a lot of bad decisions. People with money generally don't make bad decisions. So how do they feel today, two days later, now that they've come they've come down off the ledge, as I like to say, now that Wits had a chance to talk to them, where are they? It's still possible. And, and this is the other part I want to say about this is it, there's that old thing, fool me once, shame on me, fool me twice, shame on you. Uh, lose to ODU, one thing, lose to Duke 4510, another thing, lose to, lose to Liberty. Even after the emotion of the moment is gone, um, it's quite possible that the people that matter may say to themselves, I'm not falling for that again. Right. I'm not falling for that again. I don't think this is the guy. I think I'll hold on to my money right now. And, you know, there's, so there's a, I just think there's a lot of really important high level discussions going on. Will just said, you know, he'd be interested to know how those people felt 48 hours or so after the game. Chris, you've had about 48 hours to marinate on this game. How do you feel? on Monday morning compared to how you felt Saturday afternoon. Did anything change? No. Um, no. I, like I said, I've said a couple times today that like I don't think I learned anything new from, from the Liberty game. It's reinforced some other p- opinions. Are we getting into this now? Is that what you want to do? Okay. <laughs> well, uh, I was getting there. Okay. I, I, we, we've beat around this bush on the podcast this year. And about, in articles. And in articles about player size. Uh, and... Now you lose to Liberty, and you don't want. I don't want to beat around the bush anymore. I'm going to burn the bush down. And, and here's yet another <laughs> game where the other team looked more physical, tackled better, and and, and 
what conference is Liberty in? Are they in a conference? Not a Power Five team. They're independent, I think. Okay, right. Yeah. Okay. They were and, in the Big South when they were an FCA. independent non-Power Five team pushed Virginia Tech around, right? Now, this, so, so, no way, Evans. I just want to say this is highlighted CC on Sunday, sifting through the loss to Liberty. This is on uh, TechSideline.com right now. What Chris is about to get into. God, right. this is going to be long. Um, and, and, and be and be nice, be firm, but be, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, be yeah. nice. Um, I, I, this is certainly not every every player. Like Jared Hewitt and Narell Pollard, they can't help that they're undersized, right? So I'm not, I'm not coming after certain people like that, but uh, there's only a certain amount you can do with certain frames. And uh, now there, but on on the whole, when you look at our players over the last few years, we just don't look the part across the board for from a physical standpoint. Too many skinny guys. Um, uh, one key starter on defense came back well overweight and, and is not as, as quick. And I, and I know that COVID is happening this year, but it's it, it was happening before this year. You know, there, there are plenty of past examples, too. Um, you know, you look at some of the key players for Virginia Tech and their, and their weights when they enter the program to what they are now. Trey Turner was 187 as a true freshman. He's 187 now, right? You compare that to Isaiah Ford. You know, Turner was a four-star recruit. Ford was probably like a three-and-a-half star. High three-star. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, Ford came in at 174, and by his junior year, he got up to 195. He worked his tail off in the weight room. I, I don't recall. Ford left a year early, he did, right? He did. Yeah, so three so years. Ford, Ford gained 21 pounds. And in that same amount of time, Turner has gone from 187 to 187. Right. He actually got up to 190 last year and is back to 187 this year. Um, Xavier DB was listed at 215 as a true freshman. And that's being nice because I remember on Beamer Ball, they actually listed him at 197. Yeah. Uh, but they didn't want to embarrass him on Hokie Sports, so they didn't. But at any rate, so we'll just go with a 215 official rate. By his, he was later 236, right? I remember that. So Alan Tisdale came in at 214, which is pretty, very similar to DB's 215. Well, Tisdale is now 210. He got up to 220 last year, and now he's 210. He's gotten smaller. He has Xavier Adibi-type ability if he gets up to 236 like like Adibi did as a senior, you know? Uh, James Anderson was 205 when he enrolled. And he ended up at 224. Chris Ellis was 245. He ended up at 267. Terrell Edmonds came in at 192 and ended up at 220. I mean, I mean, I've been studying these players' weights for years, for, for years, years now. And it used to be, you know, guys would come into the program and say, "Oh, a 6'3", 205 pound linebacker, that's fine because he's going to end up at 230, 225, 230. Yeah, yeah, that, yeah, that's perfect for the backer spot. And now. I'm like, okay, uh, based on some of these guys I'm seeing now, is this guy going to put on weight? So that's why I worry about Barna. Like, I think he can be great. But will he be? But will he be great? Uh, so it's like, you know, Jermaine Waller was 182 as a true freshman, which is fine. You've never seen a weight room before. So you hit the weight room in the offseason. You're 190, 195 as a true sophomore, right, with just more muscle. No, he dropped to 180, and he's still 180. Hmm. Uh, Terius Wheatley was 192 when he enrolled and is now 190. Keyshawn King went from 180 to 175. Breon Murray went from 190 to 180. Um, 
I just, I, I collectively like, if you flipped uniforms for for that game on Saturday, like like I I wouldn't have been able to tell a difference. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. Uh, we just tech just does not have big enough players. I I don't know that. I I don't know that you have a collective buy-in that 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 the program used to have. It appears to be an individual and maybe a position group. R- right. Because there are certainly guys in this program who have, I don't think it's a Ben Hilgert thing as far as not knowing the correct things to do in a weight room, yeah. because obviously Virginia Tech's entire offensive line has done a great job on the, in the weight room. Dalton Keene did a great job on the weight room. James Mitchell's done a great job. White Teller was actually White Teller did a great job. Uh, and like I said, you know, Ken Akane or Isaiah Ford, uh, Kenna Canem was a guy who once, and this was in his last year, he went from 248 to 260 under Ben Hilgert, right? And Terrell Edmonds went from like 210 to 220 under Big Ben Hilgert. Uh, yeah. Ford went from 187 to 195 under Ben Hilgert. This is not a Ben Hilgert thing. This is a buy-in thing. I it, think. it sounds, it sounds like a player thing, you know? And, well, yeah. Like, and, like it comes down to individual guys. And, and I just don't know that like I, I and I say this, I, I'm not just, I've wanted to say this for weeks. And like I said, I've beat around the bush, but I'm not a natural get the pitchfork out guy. I like to let the evidence add up. I like to pick my spots as far as when I want to say it. And I like to talk to people who, who know what they're talking about to see if their opinion validates mine. And I've done that in this case. I've, you know, there are former tech football players that go to my gym that actually all have a background in strength and conditioning, uh, whether it's actual coaching or interning or whatever. And they agree. Uh, I have a good, I have a good friend who's a strength and conditioning coach who played football at Virginia tech. And he agrees. I even had a strength and conditioning coach from an FBS school. An FBS football school, not Power Five, but FBS, he, who watches our podcast. So I guess he went to Tech, and he randomly reached out. And he via, randomly he, reached out to me a couple weeks ago, and he was like, "Just out of curiosity, which players do you think are the ones that aren't getting it done in the weight room?" Here's what I think, and he's just went on with this long and email. His list match your list. Every it was like listening to myself. So this is a professional strength and conditioning coach right. who agrees with, with everything I said. So I didn't necessarily feel feel comfortable going into that much detail on it before but now that i've had so many guys whose opinions i respect that are all saying the same thing now i'm gonna say it and i don't know why like i said i don't know i don't think it's a ben hilgert thing but it's something that has to be figured out or you're recruiting guys who aren't naturally motivated is the culture not right is it not motivating everybody on the team i mean i mean this this is a program that used to have third stringers and you'd like you'd be like oh that guy looks like a beast why isn't he playing he's not playing cuz he's not prince, that gr- uh, prince what was his name it, it was a it was a, like a walk on wide receiver prince parker. prince parker yeah yeah, yeah. i he remember ended up, he ended up moving a tight end and played a little bit so yeah. so i went, i remember gosh what ecu game was this I, th- I think we i think tech played at ecu in 2009 it was like a ryan williams tyrod taylor year and i remember walking into ecu stadium i'm sorry to go on this tangent i just find the story humorous and and we, we were standing on a fence behind while well, the two teams were just warming up. We're standing on a fence right behind one of the end zones. 
And uh, Prince Parker was standing in the end zone just, you know, shagging throws from one of the quarterbacks. And an ECU fan next to me said, man, who's that number 87? He must be awesome. And I'm like, no. <laughs> Prince Parker was a right. monster. Right. Man. And Tech had guys like Corey Gordon and Chris Bowie and, yeah. and people like that who really filled out a uniform but didn't play. But, I think they get off but, the bus first. Right, right. But they obviously bought in yeah. to the weight room. and. I just, for, for my own personal views, my own experience in a weight room and talking to other people who are professionals in, in the matter, they, we all have the same conclusion. Is there just doesn't seem to be the collective buy-in on this football team. And that's why, that's one of the reasons, not, not a defensive tackle where I just think they don't have guys who fit the scheme, but some other spots where they're just not strong enough. And it's why yeah. Liberty pushes them around and and things like that. Wake pushes them around. Right, right. So is it is it a – it's Justin Fuente's fault either way. Now, he's got to figure out why it's happening. Uh, Is it – did he recruit the wrong players or guys just not personally motivated? And here's the thing. If you put too many guys like that in a program, it's infectious. Yes. Right. So so if he's he's got a bunch of guys like that, he's either got to get them – going in the right direction after this spring semester or he needs to clean house so um and while you were talking i was thinking you know you and i have made reference recently to the the chapter in frank beamer's book turn up the wick where he uh, i believe it was after the 1992 season he evaluated everything and he came up with a list of 18 or 20 items that that needed to change Mm -hmm. and um Fuente's going to survive this. Virginia Tech, even even if the tide completely turned against Fuente, Virginia Tech can't buy him out. He has a $12.5 million buyout, which goes down to $10 million. You're going to lose the, $50 million this year in the red? It's, no. it's, this is your coach for a while. Right. Uh, you know, so he's going to have an opportunity at the end of the year to, and I know he does this every year, to self-evaluate and maybe talk to some other folks and try to figure some of these things out. Yeah, and it could be a cultural issue. You know, is there an issue why everybody's not buying into the weight room. I, I think Brock Hoffman has lit a fire under the offensive line. Absolutely. So fig- what made that happen? Right. Don't leave it up to the players. Yeah. What made that happen and try to bottle it and reproduce it? And, and you know, there's just – and another issues is, like, the guys who I know have bought into the weight room. Like, Divine Diablo has bought into the weight room. Yeah. Just look at that guy. But he's still not very physical. Like, there's no killer instinct there. Like, at one point, one of those 165-pound Liberty receivers stiffed arm and pushed him back, and he's stumbling. Do you remember that? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, there was a lot of eye-rolling uh, on Twitter. And, right, yeah. right. And you outweigh that guy by, like, 50 pounds. Like, yeah. you should be out for blood. You're facing tiny players. If you're a football player, this is your chance to take somebody's head off. Like, you need to go into that game, if you're a 225-pound safety going up against Liberty's tiny little receivers, bound to determine to put somebody in the hospital that day. That's the mentality of a great football player. Instead, we're getting our big, strong players are getting stiff, stiff armed by tiny little Liberty dudes. Yeah. And so I just I don't know that there's a killer instinct mentality there e- either amongst some of the guys who have bought into the weight room. So there's a lot of issues. But the biggest thing to me is a lot of our guys just just don't look like football players at this level. And I don't know why that is, but it needs to get figure it out and and quite frankly like some of these guys like like trey turner like he is skilled enough to be an nfl player but he made some great catches the other day he sure did yeah but it's like isaiah ford's in the nfl 
yes, he is a skilled football player, but he's also worked hard enough to put on 21 pounds of muscle yeah. right here, you know? So uh, when he got to the NFL, he was ready to perform yeah, right. at the level necessary to stay there. Correct. Uh, if Terrell Edmonds stayed at the same weight as so many of these current Virginia Tech football players, then he would have been 192 pounds as a senior instead of 220 pounds. And, and it, likely not an NFL oh, first-round pick. Certainly not a first-round pick. Probably yeah. not a pick at all. So it bothers me to see guys that I think have potential not 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 give themselves a chance to reach that, that potential. Yeah. Yeah, anyway. No, no, very fascinating. And we are at right in an hour, and I think we're going to run a little long today because there's a lot to yeah, to get yeah. to. Um, well, I want to ask you this, and I, I think Chris brings up a lot of really good points, but I want to focus again on the Liberty game itself. We okay. talked about it and, and analyzed it, but now taking a step back, Virginia Tech, like you said, in 2010, lost to James Madison. 2018, lost to Old Dominion. The Duke game last year, now Liberty – in 2020 what does this game the loss to liberty mean long term is it the fan base getting riled up is it in-state recruiting now that liberty and old dominion has beaten you in tears what what do you think it means big picture uh, I think the 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 biggest takeaway is you know you see losses like this and they bounce back from them. I don't want to use the phrase all the time, but often you see bounce backs. It, it wouldn't surprise me in the least to see Virginia Tech beat Miami this coming Saturday. I mean, that's what they did last year at the lowest point. They oh, they they, they, look, they look terrible against Duke, yeah. and I'm sure we all pick Miami to beat them by three oh, or four I'm touchdowns, sure and, yeah. and Tech goes out there and they're up twenty eight nothing. And and part of why I say that is you never know what you're going to get out of Miami either. Right. You know so. But I, I just it goes back to what I said a few minutes ago that um, that even if Tech bounces back from this and wins a few games, there's there is a there is a portion of the fan base that will just be waiting for that next ODU, that next Duke, next that next Liberty. Yep. I think that's the biggest long term takeaway from this. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think and there's a lot of the discussion and and man, I said this last year. A lot of discussion on the message board yesterday was talking about the buyout and, and, and you know, can can we afford this, you know, and just discussion about it, educating people who don't even know about it because a lot of fans don't know about it. And it's a normal buyout, by the way. Yes, it, Chris made that point. That, right. So Evans, let, let me bring up a couple of stats that were in Chris's article about buyouts uh, and other uh, coaches around the country. Bronco Mendenhall's buyout is $16.8 million at UVA. Scott Frost at Nebraska, $25.4 million. Matt Campbell at Iowa State, $20.3 million. So, so this is this is normal. This is, normal. This right. is what you have to his, pay a coach if you fire Fuentes, him. Fuentes, by the way, is $12.5 million. Right. It actually drops to $10 million after December 15th. That's right. Which is interesting because the season ends later. It's year. I think it's three or four days after Virginia Tech's last game. Right, right. Is but here's the thing. Drops. Signing day is still scheduled to be that December signing day. So yeah. you can't you can't fire a coach. If Virginia Tech wants to fire Justin Fuente, they would have to do it like in late November, like they normally would. Otherwise you lose your entire recruiting class because signing day is like two days after you'd fire him after the Clemson game. Right? Yeah. yeah. So I just it's hard to see that playing out that way. Um but it's a lot of money anyway and it's a year where Virginia Tech's fifty million in the red and you can shake your fist and use that old phrase, uh, you can't afford not to do it. But uttering that phrase doesn't magically generate the twelve and a half million dollars needed. I mean, that money literally doesn't exist. <laughs> 
Not not in my book. Right. Not in my not in my checking account. Not at Virginia Tech. It would have yeah. to come from big donors, and they've already donated, committed twelve and a half million to recruiting. So now, like the next coach would want those same recruiting resources, right? <laughs> it, so it adds up. So you would have to pay twelve and a half million to fire, to buy out Fuente, and then still pay that at twelve and a half million for extra for support staff, staff and recruiting staff and everything like that. So in effect, you're going to your big donors now if you wanted to fire Fuente at the end of the season and say, well, you know that twelve and a half million we asked you for, now we really need twenty five. Yeah. Right. Um, so it's just not. I don't think it's in the cards. And consider the timing with everything going on. Right. To to try to raise twelve and a half million to pay a guy not to work. Right. You know. Right. We have maybe a record of questions. I might have to confer with Malcolm, oh, on, Malcolm on this, but the uh, YouTube chat is. Uh, <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of comments. We have a lot of questions on Twitter. We're an hour and four minutes in. And I want to try to get to as many questions. And I really appreciate everybody for chiming in because this is our favorite part of the show when you get to interact with Will and Chris and ask them a question. I want to start with JPCVT. This was a question that was DM'd to me, actually, and I thought it was a very interesting thought. And there's been a lot of talk about Justin Hamilton in his first year as Virginia yeah. Tech's defensive coordinator. Here's the question from JPCVT on Twitter. Given that Tech has a once-in-a-decade offensive attack this year. Why not go for the soft rebuild on defense to maximize our ability to win games instead of implementing the full J-Ham scheme now? Tech returned many starters from last year's defense, and it seems that like we are squandering that advantage, especially when you think about how they could support the offense. Why not run a defense closer to Bud's this year and wait until you have the recruits for Hamilton's? Because Tierlink has not coached in that scheme. Uh, yeah. Uh, like, like Tap the, hasn't coached the, in that the scheme. The only coaches that have coached in that scheme are old Virginia Tech coaches, yeah. right? Yeah. And you can't improve recruiting by keeping Charlie Wiles on the staff, right? right? Or And outside of Jack Tyler, who's like a graduate assistant, like what linebacker coaches out there have, have, have coached in this scheme? So, like, there's just – that scheme, what Virginia Tech did for so many years, was so unique that – and they kept the same coaches all those years. For so long. That there's just – basically no pool of guys who can come in and coach that so and and at some point you have to you have to build for the future anyway man yeah like I, i'm so sick and tired of, of this program going for the short term like they need they need to take the long-term view of things and 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 yes it it hurts this season but but here's what honestly hurts worst all right so virginia tech's top four graded grading defensive players last year were Caleb Farley, Jermaine Waller, Deshaun Crawford, and Rayshard Ashby. Yeah. So those four players were going to be Justin Hamilton's best players. I don't, I don't know that Crawford would have been a great fit for this game, but healthy, I think he would have been better than the He'd guys be a good they player, have. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So he he didn't have, he basically hasn't had his best four players. I mean, Waller's been hurt and played in two games. Farley opted out. Ashby did not come back in shape. And Crawford's been hurt, so even if it, if it's any like if it's any other defensive coordinator behind Justin besides Justin Hamilton, if we'd brought a guy out from outside the program, and I know some people are on Hamilton right now, but they would be ready to fire a defensive coordinator that we brought from outside the program, yeah. right? Hamilton is getting the benefit of the doubt as he should because he's a tech guy, but he was dealt a terrible hand, awful, <laughs> but like like. If it's certain positions, he, like defensive tackle, he was left a, a, a large group of players who aren't a fit for any scheme except for Tech's old scheme. And then at the other positions, his best players either opted out or got hurt. And yeah. Okay, so so here's here's my answer to that. 
like we talked about a few minutes ago, you're you're down in the weeds, you're getting bogged down in the minutia. Back out and take a look at the forest. It's right. Justin Fuente's fifth year and his defense is getting mowed over. And the details to a lot of people don't matter anymore. Correct. They don't matter. You know. Um I mean I know I know what I think should have been done. Right. In complete hindsight that would have helped things right now, but the, but the thing you can't go back in time. Like sometimes the only way to fix something is to tear it all down. Yeah. All right. Question from VT Basketball Rising on Twitter. Beyond the player and player families, what tangible value do non-revenue sports bring to a university? What is the downside to cutting to the minimum ACC-required sports? This one's mine um, because I've, I've, having lived in Radford when, they, uh, when the Radford University Athletic Department cut some sports. And, and I'm, I'm not tight with a lot of people in that community, but you, you hear things and, and you see what happens in the community. This was a few years ago, and it just got me to thinking about it. And, and Witt talked about this uh, when we did the podcast with him. I asked him, did you consider, you know, for the budget constraints, did you consider cutting sports? I already knew the answer. And he said, no. Um, he said, number one, the money's not that significant. Eh. Um, number two, I don't remember exactly how he phrased it, but he basically was saying, I'm the guy who's got to look these people in the eye and tell them it's over, you know, and deal with the backlash. So it's very easy from the outside looking in to say, oh, just cut that. But there are people that have to do these things and make these decisions and tell people. Um, so there's that. But but then the argument is Whit gets paid, you know, $750,000 million a year, make the hard decisions. So the other thing that happened last week, and I don't know if you caught this or not, but uh, Clemson, cut basically cut every men's track and field and cross-country program they've got so here's clemson's history in about the last 10 years or so and you can google this stuff and read about it right around 2011 or so uh, remember Dabo had been coaching there since about 2009 and in 2011 um they the only team they beat in 20 that that they really handled defensively in 2011 was virginia tech they gave up i looked it up yesterday clemson gave up 410 points in 2011 the year that they won the ACC championship. 13 of those to Virginia Tech in two games. In two games. So they gave up 397 <laughs> points in their other 12 games. Do the math. That's what, 33 points a game? Go Except to Virginia Tech. Virginia Tech averaged six and a half, and that's a whole other discussion. Uh, and they gave up 70 in the Orange Bowl. And Dabo went to the athletic director and said, Kevin Steele, I think, is their D.C. He's got to go. And I think that's when Dabo took a pay cut. And they committed to, you know, paying more for, and that's, I think that's when they got Brent Venables. Right around that time, same time period, they also cut a lot of their swimming and diving programs. I think they left one of them alive. And that was to avoid building a $10 million aquatic center for their swimming and diving programs. They said, we're not going to spend that money. Matter of fact, we're just going to cut those sports and we're going to allocate more money to football. A few years later, they add, after they've got it rolling and they're playing for national championships in football, they add softball. Clemson didn't have softball, which surprises me. Last year was their first year. And they built like a $10 million super modern facility. Beautiful And complex. started the program, Cough Title IX, Cough. And then this past week, they cut all of their men's uh, track and field, indoor, outdoor, cross country. They are now down to 16 sports, which is, I read this in an article, the minimum number of sports required to be a Division I athletics program. Clemson went hard to the hole, cut everything they could cut, added what they had to add to be com compliant with Title IX, and they are dumping resources into football. They have been for years. 
Chris and I talk about this all the time. I think I mentioned this on the podcast. The phrase I use, if, if you were building an athletic department from the ground up from a clean sheet of paper, how would you build it? Football, men's and women's basketball, baseball. Then flesh it out with enough sports to satisfy Title IX and to meet the NCAA minimum, and there you go. Mm-hmm. And allocate as much as you can to football because that's the bread and butter program. So the original question was, what's the downside? The downside is that people people say to me, we talk about this, and people say to me, you know what, if you cut the non-revs, I'm out. I'm not going to support Virginia Tech anymore. What percentage of people is that? And how? What what percentage are you going to gain by getting better in football, the one that has a 66,000-seat stadium? Nobody wants to talk about this stuff, and I'm sure I'm going to get some backlash from it. I'm not advocating anything. I'm just saying these are the numbers, and this is what one of the most competitive programs in the country is doing. The downside is that there's a guy who's got to tell all those coaches and players, and there's lots of tears and lots of crying when that happens, trust me. And it's not just the tears and crying in the moment. I've had to let people go from this company before, and it's difficult to sit there and tell them that you're letting them go. It's even worse when for the next months, weeks, months, and maybe even years, there are lawsuits filed. There are emails. I think William and Mary's athletic director lost her job. She resigned after William and Mary cut some sports, and then they just announced that they were bringing them back within a couple of months of that announcement. What a crap show that turned out to be. We have to cut these sports to meet budget, and then all hell broke loose. And that's what happens. Now, in the case of Clemson, I'll bet the hell is breaking loose on them right now over the track and field program. And I'll bet Dan Radakovich, their athletic director, has just got the wall up. You know, we'll see. We'll see where it goes with Clemson. But I'm betting Radakovich is like, sorry, football. Just to make sure we're getting enough questions, because we've got so many. Chris, I'm going to ask you a question. Uh, this is from James Coppola on Twitter. He writes, based on our record over the last three to four years and who we have playing on the field, is it safe to say Virginia Tech is a 500 team that could exceed, not this year, rather than a strong program that has been underperforming over the last few years? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think that's fair. Yeah, I, th- I think that's fair. Um, I-, I think I don't, I don't expect Virginia Tech to win every full ga- football game they play. I don't expect them to win 10 games a year. Um, I- I- I'm not naive. I understand where they rank in the scheme of spending these days, and these days winning is about spending. And Virginia Tech doesn't spend as much as other schools. They they don't have the money to spend. So I, I'm not not expecting Virginia Tech to be the Virginia Tech of old. I, I just want to see them operate at max efficiency or close to max efficiency. And and when they don't do that, that that's when I'm bothered. Like when when I see when I see players who I don't think are getting the max out of their ability because I don't think they attack the weight room as hard as they should. Um. That's the stuff that bothers me. So, yeah, I mean, I think it's basically a 500 program right now. It could be better than that with 100% buy-in and 100% max efficiency. Yeah. Um, but they're not getting that right And, and it, it, it gets back to the UNC game. People weren't too upset about the UNC game because they thought Virginia Tech did all they could to win that game. Right, right. They, they were satisfied with the effort on the field. Right. Like, I don't think Virginia Tech lost to Liberty on Saturday. I think they've lost – I think they lost to Liberty in past off-seasons. Yeah. A couple other questions. Some are about the game itself. Some are big-picture questions. We've got a lot of good questions. Zachary Lieber on YouTube writes, a DB has led the defense in tackles for six of the seven games. Uh, Is that a, a defensive back. 
That could it's, be wrong. It sounded like you were saying a DB. I'm sorry. No. Oh, <laughs> oh hey, you, I thought you meant Xavier a DB. Like, I can totally say that. Let a me rephrase. Defense, he wrote a defensive, a defensive back. back. Great call. <laughs> Xavier DB is not playing for Virginia Tech right now. A defensive back has led the defense in tackles for six of the seven games. Is that scheme or poor defensive line linebacker play leading to the third level of the defense trying to ball us out? I, I don't think we need to complicate this too much. It's uh, cer- certainly I, not scheme. I've studied this stuff in years past, and under, under Bud's scheme, your top two tacklers should be your mic and your, and your backer uh, under Bud's scheme. And the years where the mic and backer weren't that good, you started to see the defensive backs creep up in the tackle standings. <laughs> And, and it's that simple. If your front seven is being effective, your defensive backs won't have a chance they, to make They won't tackles. have as many tackles. Yes. So uh, I, I don't, it's not a scheme issue. Like Bill Terrenlink's coached in the NFL for years. Uh, Tracy, Tracy Clays has been a highly successful defensive coordinator yeah. in college. Uh, I, don't think, I don't think there's a thing in the world wrong with Virginia Tech's scheme. They just don't quite have the horses. Front to seven's play not right there. Now, right yeah. Joe Woodyard writes When Foo offense was clicking with Ger- Gerard Evans, we seem to be more explosive with big plays sprinkled in. Doesn't feel like we even attempt many of those throws of 20-plus yards in the air. Continued, does it seem we slowed down to more slow and control the ball in offense to help keep the defense off the field? So one of, before you get in that, Chris, one of, one of the things that I remember studying that 2016 season, and in the first uh, roughly half of the season, uh, Bucky Hodges, Isaiah Ford, and uh, Cam Phillips caught a lot of touchdown passes. And then in the second half of the season, it was Gerard Evans running for touchdowns that happened a lot. There was a shift that occurred in that season. So, Yeah, and that could be, you know, the film is out and defenses are playing you differently. And we're, and we're just going to beat you with Gerard like Evans. No, I do think Fuente Fuente's not one of those offensive-minded coaches who, oh, I want to score 60 or 70 points a game no matter what. And yeah. they never protect their defense. Well, this defense needs protecting. Um, you have to protect this defense. They're not going to be able to stop people. Um, so, yeah, I think that's that's the, there's something to that. Yeah. Um, you know, there, there, there's big plays down the field. They're great when they happen, but they are low percentage plays. Um, now, if Virginia Tech had Cam Phillips and Isaiah Ford, then maybe they're not so low percentage, right? So some of it, I think, is Tech just doesn't have as good a wide receivers as they had. Yeah. Uh, I think Trey Turner would be a solid – if Trey Turner was on the 2016 team. I think he's Cam Phillips, right? Well, no, I'm saying he would be the fourth option at wide receiver on that team. Right. Behind Isaiah Ford, Cam Phillips, and Bucky Hodges, right? Yeah. And now he's our first option. Yeah. So, yes, the talent level has dropped off. I mean – Fuente is a smart X's and O's coach. I I know somebody who was in his office the week before the East Carolina game in 2016. Yeah, this is a good story. Fuente (laughs) loves loves film work and everything like that, and he gets excited about X's and O's, and he he says, says, oh, watch this, watch this. If we catch them in this coverage on third down, we're going to hit slot receiver Cam Phillips for a deep touchdown on a post. Sure enough, that's during exactly the game, that's what exactly happened. what happened. <laughs> it was early. I mean, in the he game knew too. exactly what was going to happen on the play. And when you have players that are really, really reliable and really, really good, like Cam Phillips, yeah, I mean, you, you can know things like that, and you can try more stuff like that. I, I just, they just, it, you know, just don't have a, a Ford and Phillips anymore. So, right. and and Hooker is good. He's a different kind of quarterback than Gerard. Um, so, but yeah, some of it. 
has to do with protecting the offense too, in my opinion. I, I think you're dead on protecting, with the, protecting the protecting the defense for sure. A uh, couple, of, I know we're at uh, an hour twenty right now, but it's so many That's good right. questions. Do we need to wrap up or do we no, get a couple go, more? Go on, go on. Uh, a couple more questions here. Uh, this is an interesting question, I, and I feel like there is an obvious answer to this, but I actually feel like it's a worth bringing up. Samuel Bowles asks, "Who's in a better spot right now, Virginia Tech, Michigan?" Or Penn State. <laughs> All right, now here's think about it. Actually, actually, I think uh, that's actually an interesting question. How do you, how do you define better Gosh, spots? <laughs> I, I, I believe Penn State's zero and three, and Michigan is one and two. I guess Penn State or Michigan, they have the most talent, so you would have to say they're they're in a better spot per se, long term. Uh, I think it's interesting that Virginia Tech wanted so many of those Penn State players, and especially yeah. some of their defensive players. Yeah. And Virginia Tech offered so many defensive players for UNC and UNC's defense can't stop anybody so like that that tech defensive staff over the last four or five years how good were they really at evaluating huh I mean they wanted a bunch of those UNC defensive players and UNC can't play a lick of defense I mean Penn State is giving up well they gave up 35 to Maryland or more more I don't remember how many ended up being uh Indiana moved the ball on them right uh, so like all these guys that Virginia Tech wanted and even and didn't get aren't doing that great elsewhere. Right, right. So were our evaluation skills really, really that good? Yeah. Um, um, and that so, and that and that's not and that's not reflective of Hamilton or the current staff. But but to answer the question, is the question where <laughs> would you rather it like said, take over the head coaching job at the end of the season? The question is, uh, let me go back and find it. Just straight up, I lost it. It was basically just saying, "Who's in a, a who's, who's in, in a, a better spot right now? VT, Michigan, or Penn State? Depends Penn, on Penn the State. goals. Penn State. Penn State well, is. for this season or, or long term? In, in, in general. In general, okay. Yeah. Yeah. In, in the short to medium term, it's Penn State. Right. All right. So here is a question or a thought from Donovan Strong. Okay. Okay. Donovan Strong writes: It also could be the all caps nutrition. Are these guys eating correctly along with the weights? He's correct. In reference to what Chris was talking about earlier. That's correct. That's absolutely correct. Uh, You know, you need a high-protein diet and things like that. Um, uh, I think think Ashby maybe got a high-carb diet (laughs) in the summer. (laughs) But uh, uh, So, yeah, I mean, it's everything. You know, people say it's strength and conditioning. But, yes, it's also nutrition. No, there's a funny story. Uh, Virginia Tech had a lineman in the mid. Is it Brandon Gore? Is this the Brandon Gore? Bro, this story? is the Brandon Gore story. <laughs> he had a lineman in the mid two thousands, and he was about three hundred sixty. He's pounds. a monster physically, and nobody in this the nutritional staff could never figure out why he he couldn't lose weight. He was working hard in the weight room and the conditioning and everything like that. So they're like, he's got to be doing something wrong at home. So they showed up at his house unannounced, right? And they said, Brandon, we're looking in your refrigerator. So he kind of rolls his eyes and lets him in, and they look in his refrigerator, and he's got all these packs of bologna. And apparently, he like sat on the couch and would like eat pieces of bologna like you would eat potato chips, you know. And so they figured out why he couldn't lose weight like like that. So yes, nutrition plays a big part in it um, right. about getting your body in, in in the right spot. So I think that everything there does needs a thorough. Uh, evaluation and I talked on the podcast or maybe in the Q&A last week is if I was took over Virginia Tech tomorrow I, I would hire 
an associate AD for football under me, someone with experience administrating football programs that has a lot of knowledge in all of those things. Because um, I, I, j- I think Virginia Tech is, is – is, they're lacking something there. And I don't know enough about it to know exactly what's missing because I'm not in there. But something's missing and somebody's got to figure it out. So what, what other programs do is they hire guys from the, the – um, the Ohio State tree, the Clemson tree, the Alabama tree, you know, um, and that's one of the, well, I don't, I don't want to go off on that tangent. Uh, so the question is, is the Student Athlete Performance Center going to help with that? And one of the things I've never really been able to get the answer to is we all know it's going to be a big old glitzy dining room and all the athletes can all kind of mingle there and, you know, sing Kumbaya and hold hands and stuff. What I want to know is, are they going to be tracking what everyone eats at that place? Right. I mean, I mean, if Trey Turner comes in and gets a meal and he's got his Trey Turner card and he swipes it, that should go into a database. Sure, sure. So they can review what is Trey eating here. You can't, you don't know you what he's eating at home. Can't do it at home. But what is he eating here? Is right. he eating everything he's supposed to be eating here? And the, and the thing is, though, but like, we didn't have the student athlete nutrition center whatever performance center when isaiah ford was here and he put on 21 pounds of muscle in three mm. years or terrell edmonds when he put on 30 pounds or chris ellis 22 pounds or a db 21 pounds but and, D- D- donovan is not wrong but, right yeah <laughs> so yes i mean it's that course nutrition matters yep yeah. all right we'll end with this this is preston christman question will i ever learn to love again or will my heart continue to erode until there's nothing left uh <laughs> you know just hang in there you're going to learn to love again and and trust yes. me i'm 55 years old and i look back on i don't know how old this person is i look back on my youth and and the girls i dated and you know they're it's funny you get caught up in it when you're young and man just uh you know you you will learn to love again <laughs> There you go. I thought that was an. I think he was. I think he might have been referring to too. I think he might have been referring to Virginia Tech football. That's what I thought too. Anyways, okay. Just, just, just wait until they win three or four games in a row. You'll you'll love them again. Well, and listen, we've got episode one fifty of the Tech Sideline Podcast coming up Thursday, one o'clock. We'll preview Virginia Tech and number nine Miami, a game that could have a lot of fireworks, a lot of offense. Looking forward to previewing that. But what a great show! I know we're almost ninety minutes in, but sometimes podcast calls for. A little yeah. bit longer than normal. You don't, you don't and, lose uh, the liberty every week, that's for sure. <laughs> great conversation. Chris Coleman, uh, anything different? What's coming up on TechSideline.com this week? And will we have a Monday Thoughts article from Will? Right, and we also remember we have the video at the end of this. Yes. Right? Yep, I was going to remind that. Just Okay. Yep. Normal week, man. Normal week. Normal week. Normal week. Yeah. Uh, Brandon Patterson will have an article? Yeah, I'll, and I'll have Inside the Numbers. I find that I look forward to Brandon's articles more and more and more every week. Yeah, I know. Yeah, why did stuff happen? Yeah, yeah, yeah for sure. Uh, looking forward to that. And then your Monday Thoughts article will come out uh, later today. Yeah, yeah. I started it last night. I think I'm two or three pages into it. Uh, so it should be, you know, late afternoon. And um, it, I think it'll say a lot of the stuff that we said here, but there will be some other stuff in it as well. Well, looking forward to that and uh, looking forward to a great week on TechSideline.com. Also looking forward to our podcast again, episode 150 coming up on Thursday. So if you're watching on YouTube right now, first of all, Really do want to thank you guys. You guys should go look hit, at the hit like and subscribe. Like and subscribe, but also thank you for chiming in. You guys should go back and look and see at the, <laughs> the comment section. I mean, there was a lot of scroll. If you're wondering why I look so much at my computer, so I'm trying to make sure I get good questions lined up. And you guys were asking some phenomenal questions. So thanks for interacting with the show. It always makes it more enjoyable from us when we get to hear from you. Please hit the like and subscribe button. If you're still wishing, uh, watching right now, 
We're going to roll the end credits as soon as we sign off. But then we've got a video coming out about awesome things that are happening at Tech Sideline, an expansion. We're going to talk about the office that we're in right now where this podcast set is and this awesome new office space that we have opened up right through that wall. Right yeah, there. it's it's an interesting look behind the scenes because you guys are used to seeing us sit here on the podcast set. And I'm looking to my left as I say this. Where do you see the rest of this place? You know, and, and I'm not. I'm not smiling when I say that. So it's about a, it's about an eight or nine minute video. And, and I apologize for the lighting in it. Uh, Malcolm and I shot it the other day and we didn't mount a light on the camera. So there are parts where I'm kind of in the dark and talking. But check it out. It's about another eight or nine minutes and it'll give you an interesting look behind the scenes and let you know about some stuff that we're doing here. Fantastic. It might be a record here of 88 minutes on the podcast. So wow. thanks so much to you guys for your time on this Monday morning. Thanks so much to the best producer in the land, Malcolm Stewart. But that'll do it for us. Episode 149 analyzing the 38-35 win for Liberty. Again, hope you can join us on Thursday at 1 o'clock as we preview Virginia Tech in Miami. That'll do it for us. For our managing editor, Chris Coleman, our founder and general manager, Will Stewart, the best podcast producer in the land, Malcolm Stewart. I'm your podcast host, Evan Hughes, saying so long. Thanks so much for watching and listening to episode 149 of the Tech Sideline Podcast, brought to you by the Fisher Law Firm. Have a great week. (laughs) 